Welcome to the Student Corner by Snowcap. We are a nonprofit community of students researching and writing about STEM, finance, and politics. We started this podcast to bring these conversations to life in a new way. Each episode, a student writer will talk about an article they've written and published on snowcap.com. We'll be taking a deeper dive into these articles and asking some follow-up questions to further explore these topics. If you find this conversation interesting, please subscribe to our channel to hear more. Hi, everyone. My name is Miriam Barada, and today with me, I have Naomi Buchanan, and we're going to be interviewing her and learning a little bit more about an article that she recently wrote for Snowcap. So to start off, Naomi, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself, um, where you go to school, when you got started with Snowcap, and all that jazz? Yeah, of course. So I'm a junior at Fordham University in New York City at the Lincoln Center campus. Um, this was actually my first article with Snowcap, so I just started last month. Um, I At Fordham, I'm studying international political economy and French studies. Uh, so then that kind of got me interested in politics, which I've been able to explore a little bit more through Snowcap. Um, and then I also write for another publication called Grain of Salt, where I worked as an election an election correspondent um, and kind of covered all the issues um, that voters would need to know going into the election. Gotcha. That's super interesting. It seems like you're really involved, which is really awesome. Um, so jumping into the article now, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your article, the title, um, and why you chose to write about what you did? Yeah. So um, I wrote this obviously before the election. Um, so I really was interested in why why polling in 2016 kind of went so wrong. Like Trump's victory was such a surprise for everyone based on the polling that we had been hearing right up until the election. Um, so I kind of wanted to look into how that could like how that happened and how that worked out. And then if there had been changes made, if there had been adjustments for this election to prevent that type of issue. Um, so this was kind of an opportunity for me to further my knowledge about polling and how that works, since that is such an important part of campaigning and elections. Um, so, yeah, that was really my thinking going into it. Gotcha. That's really interesting. And while you're writing this article, what was something that you found most interesting or something new that you learned that maybe you didn't know about before? Yeah, so I really didn't know a ton about the like logistics of polling. So even just I kind of assumed just coming from like being a young person and so immersed in like technology and politics, I just assumed it was like internet surveys and stuff like that that would be just more efficient in my head. But the more I got into it, a lot of this polling really relies on um, telephone, like phone banking. Um, and so I looked into how that has changed over time and how now they're shifting more into online stuff and then in-person stuff, which was obviously like brought to a halt during coronavirus. Um, so it was just very interesting to see all the different methods that they use to gather this information and then how pollsters have the challenge of figuring out which method will work best for them to best represent the demographics they're trying to show. And then they also have um, the challenge of representing like the opinion of the population with such a small sample, since obviously they can't ask everyone their opinion. So. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting, especially in the beginning when you brought up not knowing that 
I think you and I must have had the same like kind of preconceived notion of what polling was. And I really did think it was like online surveys. <laughs> That's what kind of made most sense to me. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just kind of never thought about people calling you on the phone to do polls because I've personally never been called. I feel like um, people our age wouldn't respond. <laughs> like I feel yeah. like I would assume it was a spam call, but pollsters really do al- rely on that quite a bit, which just seems very foreign, but... Yeah, definitely. And that's also something interesting to keep in mind while just looking at polling as a whole, because you are right. Think about who would answer that phone call. I mean, I wouldn't. If I see a number (laughs) that I don't know, I immediately think it's spam. And especially during COVID, the spam calls have been out of control recently. (laughs) And so if I don't have your number saved, I'm just simply not answering. (laughs) It's going to go to voicemail. (laughs) Yeah. And some of the polling is like the phone banking polling. Some of it is like very in depth. So you might be on the phone for like 10, 15 minutes like just going through the series of questions. Like, I don't know, it just seems very inefficient, but they do use it quite a bit. Yeah, that doesn't seem like something that our generation would love to do or really do, (laughs) just period at all. (laughs) Um, But since we're talking about polling in a little bit, can you give us a little bit of background and what polling really tries uh, to find out and what are some of the major companies or major players that are really involved in polling? Who's behind this and why is it Uh, so important, especially for the candidates that are running for office. Yeah. So there's kind of two ways to think of like the purpose of polling. And the first is for candidates um, to see how they are doing in like different areas. So like, for instance, if I'm working on Biden's campaign and I want to see how he's polling with um, young voters, I would try to get a sample of young people to represent all young voters, you know, and just get a bearing on what we can change for our campaign, maybe through that, um, through that polling, we would find out that he's doing much better with, like, say, college-educated young people than he is with um, high school-educated young people. So then we would shift our campaign to better address, like, those voters and their the issues important to them. So it can be very useful for campaigns working with a specific candidate. And then it also can be useful for candidates working with a specific issue, for instance, kind of get a gauge on where their voter base, how they feel about a specific issue and which way they should lean in regard to trying to get elected. And then the other way to think about it is public perception. So maybe I've never heard of a candidate, but if I see their polling really high, then I might be like, oh, well, obviously they must be pretty good if they're getting such high margins. So then I would look into them as a voter and maybe consider them more than I would otherwise if I had no idea what the public perception of um, a candidate was. Gotcha. And you see, I think that's so interesting to think about it like that, because when I think of polling, I've truly never really thought about it beyond like something that shows up on the news. It kind of tells me where everyone is at. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've ever realized that, and I don't think weaponizing is the best word here, but you can really use that to influence pretty much anything that you want. And I think it's crazy how you can even get so specific as to wanting to see how people feel about a specific issue using results from a poll to then go ahead and specifically target areas that may be in or not in support of that. So that's super interesting. And yeah, there's a really, there's a huge network. Yeah. And it can even change um, the manner through which someone could campaign. So like, I may realize that campaigning in rural areas, voters are much more responsive to say like TV ads than they would be in like a more urban area or even things like that. It can um, influence. So yeah, it's, it's very intricate and like a lot to consider 
but lots of possibilities of what can be done. Yeah, that's super interesting. And kind of going into that now, how polling can be used and how it can almost sometimes seem misleading. Uh, do you want to dive a little bit deeper into what happened in 2016? Because I think that this was kind of like polling's big moment where everyone was <laughs> yeah. looking at it and just kind of like, well, what are you really telling us? You know, what are all these big companies doing um, if they were so incorrect about the results of the election? So if you just want to touch on that and maybe dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. So, um, Obviously, 2016 results were a bit of a shock which, with everybody watching polling and having um, Hillary Clinton winning up until Trump's like surprise victory. Um, it lost, it resulted in pollsters losing a lot of trust, or sorry, the public losing a lot of trust in pollsters since they'd been telling us this entire time that Clinton was going to lend win by a landslide and like there wasn't any reason to be taking Trump as a serious candidate, um, which obviously was proven wrong. Um, so in the article, I go a little bit into this, but, um, I feel as though the, um, the, I don't want to call it a mistake is why it's hard to talk about, but the (laughs) inaccurate predictions made in 2016, made in the election, um, can kind of be explained by two different, like, categories. So I divided them into sociological and methodological... Oh, no. Okay. I divided them (laughs) into um, sociology and methodology. So um, a major thing to consider when we're talking about the sociology in the 2016 election is just Donald Trump as a candidate. Um, So... Pollsters found that there's a thing, they call it the Trump effect, which is when they're talking to respondents, asking them questions about how they're going to vote on this and that. And respondents who are Trump supporters are actually very hesitant to come forward and tell this stranger that they are a Trump supporter. So that actually can heavily influence polls. um, And that effect was seen in 2016 and was something that contributed. Um, And then polling itself can even impact how um how voters feel and how they will will vote so for instance when we have polls telling us right up until the election clinton is set to win and we have nothing to worry about um with trump clinton supporters may feel that she doesn't need their vote and feel it's not that important for them to you know take the time out of their day and go vote um come election day and then it also there was a sense of the 2016 election was unique in many ways, but I feel as though there was a public sense of kind of the lesser of two evils was driving a lot of voters and that was their thinking. So there were voters who didn't decide who they were going to vote to until right up when they got in like to the ballot box, Um, which the news had just covered Hillary Clinton's um, emails and like that whole situation. So that really swayed voters who might have been undecided right up until and kind of pushed them towards Trump in an unexpected way that um, pollsters just didn't account for. Um, But yeah, of course, there is so many different ways to think about it in regard to sociology and it's so difficult to account and represent every single member of the population and of the the voter base um and then 
Also for pollsters, they have to look into their methodology, which is like, how are they going to conduct this poll? How are they going to get it out? How are they going to get people to respond? Um, and us just ignoring their calls <laughs> isn't going to help. Um, yeah, so there's some important things to consider as we were just talking about how phone phone banking is kind of going out of style to say um, that the younger generation is just not as responsive to random numbers calling them and answering, sitting and answering questions. So then pollsters will have to take into account like, oh, I'm going to get an, an older age demographic if I'm relying solely on phone banking, which obviously isn't going to be a good representation of the entire population for that reason. So then that's when we start seeing the switch to the internet polling and kind of using that to um, to uh, kind of cover the bases that are left, cover the holes that are left by um, by phone banking kind of aging out. Um, and then another thing that this is sort of related to like the Trump effect, but something that we didn't realize was really important until the 2016 election was making sure that every education level is represented when we're doing polling. So there was an overrepresentation of college educated people um, during 2016. So maybe it was pollsters. In my opinion, what it was was pollsters were asking people to respond and because of this Trump effect, um, Trump supporters were less willing to answer questions and talk and respond to these polls, whereas Clinton supporters were more willing to, especially those with a college education who may have a better grip on politics and can discuss it in a more like eloquent and articulate manner, are more willing to talk about it and respond to these polls and sit and talk to the pollsters. So there was an over a large overrepresentation of college-educated individuals and an underrepresentation of um, only high school education or less individuals, which clearly swayed very heavily towards Trump um, influencing the election. And then, of course, the biggest uh, factor that influenced the polling being so wrong in 2016 is the that pollsters like much of the country did not account for the role of the electoral college and how a candidate can win the popular vote and not win the election. So we really saw um, the importance of that in 2016. Definitely. And I think that you just touched on a ton of factors, (laughs) which also kind of goes to show like it is not an exact science. No. Because especially, you know, for our country, I think it's crazy. I don't think many people really even realize all the time that we span multiple time zones and climates. Like that's how ginormous our population is. And I remember you even mentioned it in your article about how, you know, there is an importance on also pulling people from rural areas. Most people really focus on cities and areas where it's maybe a little bit easier because there is more of a central hub, especially if you're doing phone calls, it's a little bit easier. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's another huge factor. And I think that, you know, people not taking that into account, that's kind of where the electoral college comes into play, yeah. you know, because all of these smaller communities still do have a voice and that's kind of insured by the electoral college. And I think the Trump effect is the perfect way to call it. I think it's still true to this day. I think 
it's caused so much tension in politics in this country that it's almost a topic that's like no longer touched upon. Um, yes. Yeah. For a lot of people, definitely, just because it's always a sore t- topic. And I think it's just so divisive right now. I think that there's no real middle ground that exists. And I definitely agree that makes it so much harder, especially for people who aren't really willing to voice their opinions just because they're not 100% sure how it's going to be received or, you know, am I going to be attacked for my opinion, that sort of a thing. So definitely huge things in the way of these people that are doing polls, but seems like there's also a lot of lessons to be learned from 2016. And I was wondering what some of those major changes, if you saw any of those or know any of those that really happened during this election that you think maybe helped them improve their processes or methodologies a little bit better. Yeah, so there was definitely greater attention paid to making sure that every education level was represented. Um, Even there was kind of a pollsters had to reevaluate how the questions were being asked, like the verbiage used in it to make sure that it wouldn't, to kind of negate the Trump effect in a way and not scare off anyone who um, would think that they would be like judged by the pollster since they really are just trying to collect data. And as you said, it's not an exact science, but it is done in a very scientific manner. Um, So it is very important for them to represent all members of the population. Um, And then obviously just after Trump's win in 2016, there was a, um, there was no longer this impossibility of Trump winning. So he was taken much more seriously as a political candidate, which did influence whether it was conscious or subconscious pollsters behavior and the analysis that they were making during 2016. So there was no longer a, well, you know, this is just a media stunt that a reality TV show host is doing. It's he's a serious candidate who might be reelected. So I feel like they did definitely take that into account. While 2020 definitely had its um, fair share of problems to address in regard to polling, Um, They did really try to take a look at what we learned from 2016 and try to account for some of those issues that we saw evident when on election night we didn't see the outcome that we expected. Yes, definitely. And I think even for this year, um, I didn't see too many polls. I think this year was maybe a little bit more difficult because, as you mentioned, it was a completely different attitude from everyone. There was no idea that there was one clear winner and everyone kind of thought that they knew where everything was going. It really was up in the air. And I think, especially with voting, I think it stretched out like, what, three days, four days, (laughs) something like that, something crazy. Election day, election week. Yes, exactly. Um, (laughs) Election week, it's going to be the new thing now. But (laughs) it truly was, I mean, it basically looked like a 50-50 with a slight lead in some areas. And I feel like that, um, I wonder if that was, you know, directly reflected in polls as well, if there was a little bit more of this, like, uncertainty, like it really could come down to a couple of key points or a couple of key states, which it absolutely did. And look at us now, I mean, we're well into December, and there are still disputes on votes that were counted in states and what was going on. So It's kind of crazy. I think that, you know, polls had a moment, they had, you know, four years to kind of figure out what went a little bit astray in 2016 and try to 
change their methodologies a little bit, maybe approach it from a different angle, and then 2020 comes around, you have the new variable of mail-in ballots, and everything is a little bit, uh, I guess, thrown off again. But I was wondering how those uh, polls actually reflected what ended up happening um, in the election or what has happened thus far, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Will it ever end? But yeah, the polling for 2020 was... In some ways, like, people are still disappointed with the polling in regard to accuracy just because pollsters did tell us to expect this blue wave that was going to come as a response to Trump's presidency, not so much, not necessarily on a presidential level, but congressional levels of expect to see um, a blue wave afterwards and a large increase in um, the Democratic wins that we really did not see. There was also... um, They expected Biden to win, which was accurate, but they didn't expect it to be so close. Um, For instance, um, many polling um, organizations had Trump or sorry, many polling organizations had um, Biden winning Florida by I think it was like one point, but by a margin and he didn't and Trump took Florida. So it's just a matter of kind of it seemed as if maybe the Trump effect is still at play even after his first presidency. Um, But with that said, I think that polling isn't getting quite as much backlash as they did um, 2016, just because it does seem like it's a big (laughs) oopsie whenever they, their, their pick for the presidential winner is so wrong. Um, and it's also important to consider in 2020, the polling predictions came with a huge disclaimer of this is what we think, but there's also a global pandemic happening. <laughs> so there was so many ways that COVID could affect the election. Obviously, mail-in ballots were one huge way. Um, and how the postal service can deal with like this huge increase in, um, all of these ballots they have to figure out how to deal with despite not having a huge increase in their um, their budgets and how much they can pay employees overtime and all of that sort of things to kind of accommodate this huge um, this the large increase in uh, mail-in ballots but also another thing to consider is how COVID could affect could have affected voter turnout so say that the pollsters did a poll in a certain area and they have this certain county being so important. Or even, for instance, on election night, we saw Erie County was very important in Pennsylvania. And so if there would have been a huge spike in COVID cases in Erie County leading up to election day, that could have seriously impacted how it would have turned out. And if uh, people felt comfortable going to their polling places... And then it's even more important to consider that whenever uh, there was such stark political divide in COVID response. Um, So yeah, that was just something that pollsters knew they really couldn't account for just because they can't predict how the virus will behave and how we will behave in response to it. So they did, while they kind of, while they did everything they would usually do, pollsters did say like, 
this is something to consider that we are not humanly capable of considering. But it seems as though that wasn't, well, as you said, there's still disputes happening um, about the election results. And so it really is going to take some time for pollsters to kind of sit back and count their wins and losses and then reflect and do some research and analysis on how they can change that and what factors exactly were at play, whether it was the methodology or the sociology or whether they, you know, underrepresented or overrepresented this demographic or whether they did this wrong or that. Like, there's just so many things and so many factors at play that need to be considered. And a lot of it is just they need time to look at that. So we really can't know this early in the game. Definitely. And I think... It was definitely very smart for all the pollsters to kind of come right out of the gate saying like, listen, we tried our best. (laughs) We've been planning for four years. Um, Most of that went in the garbage once 2020 hit and they had all these extra factors. And I think, you know, another maybe factor that I hadn't considered as strongly, which I really realized also while reading your article is just, you know, what would have happened if COVID cases started to spike? right around that community, it definitely would deter a lot of people. And especially because, you know, with a week leading up to election day, that's not enough time to mail in your ballot and, you know, make sure that it is um, counted. So that's because that's also a huge thing you mentioned, you know, the post offices weren't really getting any extra help for anything. There was the same number of people in the same budget as they normally do. But to handle honestly, who knows what times their normal capacity. Um, And especially for such an important matter, you know, this isn't like Christmas presents (laughs) that are getting crazy shipped in December, whatnot. This is election results. And, you know, tampering with anything like that is a huge deal. And it's something that was so important. And I think it's it's honestly a huge impact. And I see why there's still so much backlash about it, because I think what ends up happening is the less people are familiar with the situation, the less they really know about it, the yeah. more backlash is going to come out of it. You know, and that's kind of exactly what happened with mail-in ballots. I think people weren't familiar and they were like, I, you know, I don't even really trust myself to mail something. I don't know 100 <laughs> percent that it's going to get there in time or ever get there. Yeah. How am I supposed to trust that, you know, everything that I send in is going to be received this time? Well, and that's really what we saw when we're watching the news as the election week uh, continued. Uh, We saw, as you know, obviously President Trump is always placing doubt on the mail-in system and um, making false claims about election fraud, which we're seeing him, like, fight in court right now. But with him making all those claims, there's so, so much scrutiny and these the postal workers and also the poll workers and the people counting like on the ground counting these ballots are put under such scrutiny and um so much pressure to do it faster and do it the way we want it to be done and as quick as possible when in reality like these are people who are also living through the pandemic dealing with an unprecedented situation of so many more mail-in ballots that have to be physically counted um and so obviously We all can understand why we were so impatient wanting to have the results and know what was going on. But like you have to have some sympathy for these people who were really working day in and day and night to try to get us a result as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I do remember specifically thinking that um, when I was watching the news the night of Election Day and there were reporters outside of where they were counting ballots in uh, Pennsylvania. And even just as they started, they were like, I'm just going to come right flat out and say it. There's no shot. There's no shot that we're going to have anything for you tonight. I mean, just with how much is piled up and the fact that, you know, some states didn't start counting until 
um, much later in the day, just because yeah. um, those were those regulations in those states. So a lot went into it. And I think the polls definitely did improve a lot. I think that they started realizing you know, how many differences and variables do need to be accounted for. Um, and I think also really great to bring attention, you know, they're doing their best. They're collecting <laughs> the data that they can. Um, they're trying to provide us with some form of results, but at the end of the day, they're going to be able to come up with the best that they're given. And sometimes when a global pandemic comes your way, <laughs> you just got to take it and, you know, take it in stride and try to come up with the best that you possibly can for everyone who is, you know, looking to polls to kind of tell them what they should be listening to or what they should be paying attention to as well. Yeah. And obviously, I think pollsters learned a lot from 2016. And while it did impact um, public trust in polling, I do think it was an important lesson for us to learn that polling isn't a straightforward, this is what's going to happen. And then if it's if it's wrong, it's wrong. Because like, for instance, in 2016, pollsters were within their margin of error, many of them to say that Hillary Clinton should have won. And so it's really important for us as the public to consider where these numbers are coming from and where these predictions, all the factors that go into making them that can be very complex, which is why people's entire jobs is doing this. Um, so it might not necessarily be as simple as being right or wrong. Yeah, definitely. And I think also just, you know, once again, making sure that Americans really understand how different the demographics are throughout the country. You know, I mean, especially I'm from New York and New York, I think, has pretty much always been a blue state. It's kind of always been the sentiment. And it's kind of hard to realize that in other parts of the country, you know, there are completely different people who work completely different jobs, have completely different opinions and objectives and different values as well. And I think that, you know, a lot of that is starting to be much more accurately captured by pollers because they're starting to pay attention to it and starting to realize, you know, how much of an impact it really does have. Yeah, Definitely. Um, well, that was really interesting. I definitely learned a lot. I think <laughs> it's a super interesting topic. And, you know, as we mentioned, election week, election month, who knows? It's been, <laughs> we'll see. Um, you know, unofficially kind of officially unofficially going on for quite a while, but um, definitely super interesting to get to reflect on this. Do you have any um, last thoughts or things that maybe you'd like to say at the very end before we uh, sign off? Um, really, nothing specifically comes to mind. I feel like, uh, really, at the end of the day, we learned a lot from the mistakes of polling. And it's really important things for us to consider and keep in mind when we're informing ourselves about politics, especially when it's um, something as important as a presidential election year to keep in mind that the things that we're seeing, the numbers that we're seeing aren't um, the end all be all and to take into consideration the different factors at play that could impact um, those numbers and in turn our decisions. Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely a great thought to leave on. <laughs> um, so Naomi, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your article a little bit more. I know that I learned a lot. I'm sure that everyone who listens is also going to learn a lot. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely.